Well, good morning and welcome to Crossword Online. It's lovely to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. I uh, trust that you're all doing well uh, there at home and that as we turn to the Lord's Word this morning that it may encourage you, uh, stir you, uh, remind you uh, of who the, our Lord and Saviour is. And as we turn to another psalm this week, we are turning to Psalm 31. Uh, so I'm going to read a section of Psalm 31. I won't read the whole passage for us, but I'm going to read a section of it. And then I'm going to pray. And then we're going to unpack this psalm this morning. So let's turn to the Lord's word. Psalm 31 verse 1. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. This is the passage that we're going to look at. Oh, we're actually going to look at the whole of Psalm 31, but uh, this gives us an introduction to the rest of the psalm. Uh, so let's pray. And we'll take a look at it in more detail. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the psalm this morning. We thank you for how it speaks into the reality of life and the circumstances that we may face. But also it speaks into the reality and the truth of who you are. That you are a God that is a refuge, that is a rock, that is a fortress, that is the one who holds our very lives, very beings in your hands, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for the psalm this morning, and we pray that as we take a look at it, that it may encourage us, that it may stir us to see you, Lord, and to trust in you and to wait for you, Lord, to wait upon you and to put all of our hope and trust in you. So, gracious Father, I pray that you go before us as we look at this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a fantastic psalm that we get to look at, Psalm of David. And we've been looking at uh, psalms, uh, I mean, all the psalms that we've been looking at so far are ascribed to David. And, and there are these sequences of events. Uh, we saw that Psalm 29 was a bit of a pinnacle. It was, a, it was pointing to the glory of the Lord. Uh, and last week was this ro rolled from that to this idea of praising the Lord, praise Him. As, uh, as as we exalt the Lord and uh, who he is, that he is a God that is mighty and able to save. Uh, and so, if you recall, uh, we ended the last uh, psalm off in verse 11 and 12. It said, you turn, uh, you turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will ever... I will praise your praise you forever. And this is how the psalm came to an end. Uh, the psalmist at least is praising the Lord. 
Now, just for a little bit of context, Psalms are not structured uh, necessarily or written as one continuous Psalm, but as they are pieced together and put in order, we, we can see that there seems to be a bit of a pattern and a way in which the Psalms work together. And so Psalm 31 kind of flows out of uh, Psalm 30 once again. In Psalm, in Psalm 30, it says in verse 4, Sing praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. Uh, the psalmist is calling the people, the faithful people, to praise his name, as well as he himself is praising the Lord. And so we'll see in this next psalm that the psalmist is seeking the Lord, but he is also calling uh, the faithful to, to, to love the Lord, to seek the Lord. And so we'll see that unpacked in the psalm. So what is Psalm 31 all about? Uh, well, perhaps it feels like one of those normal psalms, or you would expect to find a psalm like this. As you can see, it begins in, as it says, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Uh, let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. So it's a psalm about seeking refuge, seeking deliverance, uh, seeking, as he says in the next couple of verses, a rock of refuge, a fortress that is mighty and able to save. He is seeking the Lord to save him. Uh, so what, perhaps, is the question, is the psalmist asking the Lord to save him from? Well, he says, well, keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. There are traps, there are snares, there are problems, there are enemies, there are all sorts of things that uh, could be at play here. But in these introductory few verses, we see that the psalmist is seeking the Lord. He is seeking the Lord as refuge. He is seeking the Lord's righteousness. And he is, uh, he is seeking the Lord to save him from the traps, uh, the trap that is set for him. And then he goes on in verse 5 and 6, or at least verse 5, he says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord. Uh, my faithful God. So I commit my my spirit, all of my being, who I am, I commit to you, Lord. And then beyond that, he says, I hate uh, those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. His dependence, his trust lies with the Lord. And so this is crucial in the psalm for us. We're going to come back to that idea. And then verses 7 and 8, uh, I will be glad and rejoice in your love. Uh, so he picks up on this idea of, of the love that God shows. Um, and then he says, uh, verse 8, you have not given me into the hands of the enemy. So the Lord has uh, not given him over. He has not handed him over to the enemy. But these are the first eight verses. And obviously you've noticed that there's a whole bunch more. So it goes from verses 9 still all the way to verse 24. And perhaps you're asking, but why have we not read the rest of the psalm? Well, what's interesting is there is this pattern that gets painted for us. You have uh, from verses 1 to 8 in many ways repeated again in verses 9 through to 22. So if you see verse 1 to 3 kind of sets the scene for us of this this person, uh, David or whoever is uh, also connected to the psalm. But we have David, let's say, connect, uh, calling out from the Lord saying, I take refuge in you. I seek you. I, turn, turn to me. I need your salvation. 
And this idea is then conveyed again uh, briefly in verse 9 as it says, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. So the psalmist is in distress. He is needing refuge. He is needing help. He is needing um, he's needing salvation from his circumstance. And then we have this interesting verse 4 uh, that says, Keep me free from the trap that is set for me. For you are my refuge. And then that's really mirrored for us and fleshed out what this trap could look like in verses 10 to 13. It says, my life is is consumed by anguish uh, and my years by groaning. Jump a little bit on verse 11. Because of all my enemies, I am the, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I'm forgotten as those I were as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. And then verse thirteen, for I hear many whispers, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. And the psalmist is really setting the, the scene. There is an enemy. There are those that his life is despised, he's weak, he's afflicted. Uh, He has enemies around him. His enemies are conspiring against him. And it really sounds like a really horrible situation that he's in. And so 4 kind of is fleshed out for us in 10 to 13. Uh, And then we have verses 5 and 6 mirrored again uh, by verses 14 and 15. So if you remember in 5 and 6 he says, I'm... I commit my spirit into the Lord's hands. And then on top of that, I hate those that that uh, cling to worthless idols. And then he says in verse 14 and 15, But I trust in the Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. So now he's saying, Lord, my, my time, my very years, the very number of, of years that I have or whatever time I have left is in your hands deliver me from the hands of my enemies and those enemies being the ones that are idolaters they are they seek idols and then we have seven and eight really mirrored in verses 16 all the way through to 22 so verses seven and eight is this picture of praise And verses 16 through to 22 build on this picture of praise. See how it begins. It says in verse 16, Let your face shine on your servants. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame. Uh, Again, that phrase repeated from, from verse 1. For I have cried out to you, but let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let, uh, and then he, just to jump a little bit further, verses 21, he says, Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in the city under siege. And so we see that there is this declaration that the Lord has saved him from the enemies. The Lord has dealt with his enemies. And now he praises the Lord. He gives glory to the Lord. Uh, and which, as we say, it expands just what has been highlighted in verses 7 and 8, where he says, I will be glad and rejoice in your love. Uh, he now says that uh, the Lord saves me uh, in his unfailing love. And and beyond that, as he says, uh, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul, and you have not given me into the hands of the enemy. Instead, he shows how the Lord has dealt with the enemy, uh, but 
have set my feet in spacious in a spacious place and he shows he he expresses uh, the words of one that has his feet now uh, placed in a spacious place but before we just say that that's that with the psalm it's a little bit more complicated than that but what makes the psalm slightly more complicated for us today uh, also makes it true for us today the question that we want to ask is does this is verses 1 through to 8 really just a, a introduction to the psalm that unfolds in verses then 9 through to 24? Or is it perhaps that the psalmist is declaring something? That in many ways in verses 1 to 8, it could be that the psalmist has already experienced that the Lord is the one who is his refuge. So if you pick up there in verse 3, he says something very interesting. He says, since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. So it's interesting. This is, there is a certainty in the psalmist's tone here. The psalmist is very well aware that the Lord is his rock and his fortress. Beyond that, he says something else that's really interesting. As he says, in you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. And then what we would expect is deliver me from my enemy, as he kind of says later on. But instead, what he says is deliver me in your righteousness. The psalmist knows the Lord to be righteous. The psalmist knows the Lord to be one that saves according to his righteousness, his goodness. And he says, in you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Uh, what's interesting about that first phrase, well, really where the psalm begins, is he says, I have, the tense is a perfect tense. I take, I have taken, I stand in the very reality that the certainty of where my refuge lies is in you. This is where my refuge lies. This is where my shelter, my rock, my, my solid ground is. It is in you. And this I know because I've seen it and it is like that and will never change. You are, you are stable. You are constant. And in you, Lord, I take refuge. I know that you are my refuge. And so the psalmist says this. And so perhaps there is suggestion that all the way through these first eight verses, it really is the psalmist Echoing the fact that he needs once again refuge, but he is echoing also the reality that he has once already experienced it, or twice, or five times, or ten times. He has experienced God's refuge, God's shelter, God's uh, his fortress. He has experienced it. And so as he calls on the Lord, he is calling out of what he knows and has experienced what his current situation is and what he believes about it, that the best place to go is to take refuge in the Lord because the Lord will deliver with his righteousness. And so he calls upon the Lord. And so perhaps the first eight verses, we can see it in one of two ways. is either that it is an experience that he is, he is reminding himself of and those that are reading the psalm, or it is actually... A, a reality that he is currently facing while he is claiming the certainty of who he knows God to be. And so it's either a past event uh, that he is remembering 
or it is a present event while he is remembering the certainty of who God is. Either way, uh, this seems to relate to us. Uh, the first question perhaps to really ask yourself is, well, when was the last time that you experienced trials or traps or snares or enemies or hardships or difficulties or anything of any sort that infringed on what we would call safety, your own safety, your own security. And what's interesting is we know that those events aren't once off. Those kind of events repeat themselves. We revisit them from time to time. We come back to moments of either insecurity or danger or threat or enemies or problems or whatever it may be. We come back to them over and over again. Not because necessarily of something that we're doing wrong, but simply because of life and what is happening around us. And so the psalmist here is perhaps using a psalm in the, this psalm in this way to kind of create this idea of a almost like a spiral uh, as he starts at a point and highlights the fact that he knows the Lord to be one uh, a God and savior and rescue and fortress and rock that at the same time these circumstances of life repeat themselves they they come around again and so verse 9 to 22 either expand on the already mentioned reality or are for us highlighting a new reality that once again he is in a circumstance where he is needing refuge where he is needing salvation where he's needing deliverance and so however you want to read it it doesn't really change the weight of the psalm in and of itself but what it does for us is it helps us to see as we look at the psalm that there is this, if you want to call it cyclical or spiral. Uh, and the reason why we say spiral is perhaps that instead of a cycle that just goes round and round and round and round and there's no difference. As, uh, whereas with a, uh, with a spiral, it kind of, it's moving towards something. It's moving deeper into the reality of knowing that the Lord God is your refuge, that he is your salvation, that he is your rock. That he is your fortress. And so as you kind of go around with life and all the, the turmoils and the things that kind of keep repeating themselves. You start to realize that the Lord is always that rock and refuge. And you begin to realize it quicker. Uh, and you begin to turn to him faster in a situation. So perhaps you need to go and think and reflect on your life for a bit. And say, well, when, when did I become a Christian? And as, as my walk has unfolded through the number of years, however many years, when I first experienced turmoil as a Christian, it perhaps took a bit of time to really trust and believe that God is good, that I can depend on him, that he has saved. And as time has unfolded, as those circumstances, as those trials, as those traps, as those things have presented themselves, I have come to realize more quickly, that I don't need to go into a state of anxiety or panic or stress or fear as quick as much as I did before. Because now I am more confident than what I was when I became a Christian or when I first realized who my Lord and God and Savior is. And so this seems to be the kind of nature of the psalm that it works with us. Uh, through the challenges, through the turmoils, through the circumstances of life. Uh, 
that the turnaround time within a situation becomes all the more quicker. That you come to the Lord far quicker as you realize that he is mighty to save and that he has rescued you. But the question is, what do we do while that is taking place? What are we doing in the midst of our hardship, of our struggles, uh, of our turmoils, of our traps, of our whatever it is that you want to use, whatever language you want to pull out of this psalm, as the psalmist calls traps, enemies, uh, you know, those that are conspiring against him, uh, he is seeking the Lord. He is calling on the Lord for deliverance, for salvation. For what reason? Because the Lord, when the Lord delivers, he delivers me in righteousness, in his righteousness. That's the way the Lord delivers. It's the best way. You see, and often I think that's why this that that verse or that line stands out to me is so often when Life is throwing all sorts of darts at me and all sorts of traps and snares. I want to jump to trying to deliver myself out of the situation using my own schemes and plans rather than depending on God's righteousness, on Him doing it. Because He is the one that can save me in in the way that is best. And He has done that. He has saved. And He has saved us all. Uh, and so for the psalmist, the psalmist is speaking out of the certainty of what the Lord has done, perhaps for Israel as a nation. It may even be as far back as that to say that the Lord has redeemed Israel out of Egypt or whatever other circumstance you want to list. But for us today, we know that the Lord has redeemed us in and through his son, Jesus Christ. And so for us, this becomes an incredible Psalm, but with incredible significance, because the redemption is not simply out of a place of hardship or wickedness, but the Lord has now redeemed us from our state of sinfulness. You know, if we look at Israel's Israel in Egypt, they were slaves to another land, but the salvation that they experienced was simply out of slavery under an oppressive yoke that they were under under Egypt. But for us today, we are not only saved from slavery to sin, but also the consequences of sin and death. So we are saved in Christ. We are saved from whatever the enemy can throw at us. And the enemy can throw everything at us. But there is nothing that can overcome what Christ has done for us. That he has died and risen, been raised again. And so this is good news for us as we consider this passage, as the psalmist reflects on the cycle of life, that we come back to it. And sometimes we we moan more, we groan more at other times. Uh, Maybe that's what we pick up in verses 10 to 13 is really the groaning of the psalmist. And sometimes our groaning sounds like that. But hopefully we will get to a point where we are also praising him. Because it's true for us what the psalmist says in both both, uh, looking at verses 5, particularly 5, and then what he says, hopefully, in in verse 15. He says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. And verse 15, My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. So hopefully we can then declare that and say, Lord, my spirit uh, 
my time is in your hands. Deliver me from evil. Deliver me from sinfulness. Deliver me from the ultimate enemy that is the devil and all of his snares and sin and death. Deliver me. So this is quite a beautiful psalm. Uh, and before we end, we need to really look at the end of the psalm because that's where the weight of the psalm lies as the psalmist comes to a conclusion. And we haven't yet looked at it, but verses 23 and 24, I'm going to read that for us. It just says this, love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. What's beautiful about this ending is once again he's calling on not just himself and on the Lord, but now he's calling, he says, Love the Lord, all you faithful people. All his faithful people. Love the Lord. So he's calling, like he did in Psalm 30, he's now calling again on this corporate group this corporate body of God's believers and he's saying love the Lord the Lord preserves those who are true to him the Lord will preserve those that are true to him but if you are proud if you are self-seeking if you are self-serving if you long for your own glory the Lord will pay you back in full, he says. And then verse 24 is really amazing. And unfortunately, there is a slight uh, watering down of the words here. So to, to really emphasize, the first thing it says is be strong. Now what the psalmist is saying, he's calling to the faithful and he's saying, you faithful ones, be strong. Be strong in the Lord. And then it doesn't quite say take heart. Be strong. Listen to this. And he will strengthen your heart. How beautiful is that? The psalmist calls the faithful ones to be strong. But then he says something. He says, and he, the Lord, strengthens your heart. And then it goes on and it, and it actually fleshes out a little bit more as he says, all who hope in the Lord. Or a slightly different way of putting it is all who trust, all who depend on the Lord, all who and here's the real crux. All who wait in the Lord. So there is this building <laughs> to a point where it's not seeking an answer for ourself. But it is so beautiful in the picture that we are given. As verse 24 sums it up. 
for us today as, as Christians, as those that believe that Jesus Christ has died for our sins and he has risen again, we are reminded by these words as well to be strong together, to stand together and be strong in the certainty of who the Lord is. And as you turn to the Lord, as you set your eyes on him, he will begin to strengthen your heart. He will strengthen your heart. All, and this is true for all who wait in the Lord. This is true for all those who wait on Him. Now, this is difficult because, as I said early on, when life has its challenges and obstacles and circumstances, we want to jump to action. And we so often want to solve our circumstances. And there are some circumstances that we need to get our hands dirty and really do something in the midst of life. But in the bigger picture, what is being shown to us here is that we need to wait on the Lord. We need to wait on Him. And as a body of believers, of faithful ones, to stand strong and allow the Lord to strengthen our hearts. So love the Lord, all you His faithful ones. No matter what turmoil, no matter what circumstance, no matter what challenge you face, may you be able to find Him to be your refuge. Your stronghold. May you be certain that he is your savior this morning. That what he has done through Jesus Christ is he has saved you. Now we wait for him to return. We wait for him. And we, we trust that he will strengthen our hearts in this time of waiting. Be courageous because the Lord strengthens the hearts of his faithful ones. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray for us this morning, everyone that is tuning in and listening in on this sermon and this passage and these few verses here at the end. If anything, Lord, we pray that you, as we stand together, that you may strengthen our hearts in these difficult times, in whatever circumstance, whatever challenge we face, we pray that you may strengthen us as we wait in you, Lord. May we do so faithfully. May we do so in certainty. May we be filled with the assurance of your salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that as we meet, we can declare that and we can proclaim that to one another and remind one another. And as we do so, that strengthens us and you strengthen us. So gracious Father, we thank you for your word, for your son and for your power to strengthen our feeble hearts in the midst of challenging circumstances. 
and all the things of life. So gracious Father, be merciful on us. But also, thank you. We praise you. We exalt you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope you have a lovely day, and I hope that your heart is strengthened this morning in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Have a great day. Cheers.